we have now witnessed something which is highly unusual. And that is that yesterday, which was Sunday, um, Netanyahu was voted out of office after 12 years. And Naftali Bennett, together with Lapid, have now taken over the government, which is really something, actually, it's quite sensational. And I mentioned before, what we see is therefore many miracles have taken place. Most people don't realize that. But there are many miracles. I mean, the first miracle is that Bennett was not able to pass the threshold a while back. So he was out totally. And all of a sudden, miracle is, is that he actually came back. And it was really predicted that he would get 13 seats, but instead he got uh, seven. So that itself was incredible, that he only got seven seats, not 13 you see, which meant that he, even if he joined the could, he could not f- uh, fulfill 61 seats for the Likud to be victorious. But what is even more astounding is that with his seven seats, okay, <clears throat> he actually became prime minister. Whoever heard of something like that, that somebody with only six, six or seven seats becomes prime minister? That's unheard of, especially Lapid. He had 17 seats, and I heard that if the election was held today, he may even get 23 seats if it was held again. But in any case, the fact that he's able to be a prime minister with only uh, six or seven seats is an S. I wonder if he sees, if he understands that. But another Ness is that Lapid together with Lieberman and the left merits and, and uh, labor, <clears throat> all of them acquiesced to Bennett being prime minister, which is really astounding when you think about that. Now, I had mentioned certain ideas last time of what this uh, is that <clears throat> we, we see, therefore, that the heir of Rav, who, and these are the heir of Rav, those Jews that want to, uh, you know, transform Judaism from a religion that worships God to a culture, just like every other nation. That's basically what the position <clears throat> or the platform of an Erevav is. But, like I say, what is remarkable is that the, they, they now rule the Jewish people. And, uh, you know, it's important to understand what we do see, which I had mentioned, is that the, there is somebody who is orthodox, I mean seemingly orthodox, Naftali Bennett, who is now head of the government, which means that he is actually over the era of Rav. That's very interesting. And that could be, as I mentioned last time, one of the stages of the removal of this mixed multitude, which is the era of Rav. But anyway, <clears throat> the question is, what's happening and why? Why is it that they, the era of Rav, 
have now succeeded in evicting Netanyahu, who's also basically an heir of Rav, but these people are much worse. Why is it that they have succeeded in this way? <clears throat> what we do see is that there's a simultaneous descent of darkness into darkness, both in the hands of America, <clears throat> in terms of uh, Biden, and now, of course, in the hands of the Jewish people, Israel, in the hands of Bennett and Lapid. That's the question. You know, so something obviously is going on here. You know, it's not like this happened in America only. No, it's happened in America and Israel. So they seem to be joined in many ways, that whatever decree is issued for America is certainly issued for the Israel. And the question is, how do we begin to understand all this? That's a very important idea. So that's what I'd like to talk about, where we seem to be holding in a messianic process. <clears throat> a very important idea concerning the redemption is that there has to be darkness before the Geula. That means tremendous amount of evil dominates. There's an enormous amount of lack of good and a lack of wisdom, you see. And therefore, the truth is destroyed or disregarded, ignored. This is the tremendous darkness that precedes the Geula or the redemption. Now, how do we see this? Well, there are different sources for this, you know, but it's really obvious. <clears throat> First idea is that it says in Bracious, right? Just Bracious Borlook him, in the beginning God created, it's Hashemai Vesoritz, right? The heavens and the earth. And then it says, and the earth was unformed and void or empty, right? Okay, and the, uh, well, then it says, and there was darkness on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovers over the waters. Now, we know <clears throat> that there was darkness, so really the Spirit of God hovers in the midst of the darkness over the waters, and then God says, that there be light. <clears throat> now, there's a Balaturim, very important commentary on the Chumash, that says that what is this Ruach Elohim that hovers over the face of the deep? So he says that the Gematria, the numerical equivalent of that statement of Ruach Elohim Rachefes, is equivalent to the, this statement in terms of its numbers, Gematria. What is that? Zuhi Ruchai Shomelech HaMoshiach. This is nothing more than the spirit of the Messiah, the Mashiach. Therefore we see that the Mashiach hovers, or the Nishom of the Mashiach, hovers in the midst of the darkness, because there was darkness, right, in the, in the midst of the darkness, over the face of the deep. And then God said, let there be light. That means right before Mashiach comes, there will be tremendous darkness. And that's what it means that the Mashiach 
hovers in the midst of the darkness before God says, let there be light. So that's one place where we see clearly that there will be tremendous darkness before the redemption. Then, of course, we know there's what's called the Toichacho, which is, which is the admonishment that the Rabbani Shalom gives to the Jewish people in different places of the Torah, the Chukosai, and so on. You know, And it says there that it will be at the end of days when all these things will have passed, all the tremendous amounts of sufferings and agonies and punishments and so on, and, uh, and so on, you know, that uh, God will come and he will take you back and so on. <clears throat> so this, that is really the darkness, the tremendous techochos, which is the admonitions, you see, curses, whatever you want to call them, that this will occur before the redemption. Then in the Gemara it says, you know, that there are different Amoroim, uh, great scholars, one of them, Rabbi Yochanan, and he says, Yesei, let the Mashiach come, Lo Yechpine, I don't want to see him. Which means that the suffering in the darkness, Chishach, will be so great, that Rabbi Yochanan says, I don't want to be around, even though the Mashiach is coming, I don't want to be around to see him. That's how disturbing that darkness will be. And we know many places in the Talmud, you know, in the end of Seita, and so on, and in Sanhedrin and Chelek, where it talks about the fact that before Mashiach comes, there's going to be all kinds of terrible things, which is, of course, the darkness, right? <clears throat> so the question is, why is that so? Why does there have to be darkness? Now, what we begin to realize is this: this is it. This is Naftali Bennett, Lapid, Lieberman, Meretz, Labor, and that whole crew, you see, this is the darkness. And as we will see that this is the darkness, really, that precedes the end. So do not wonder why they have won the government of Israel, because that is the ultimate darkness, where the left has come back to reclaim victory over good. Therefore, what we begin to see is that that is the last darkness before Mashiach comes. Now, the question is, why is there darkness? And there are different reasons why. All of them is to satisfy the tikkun, means to make sure that the universe or the entire world has what's called a rectification, a correction, where God can come back. <clears throat> now, point one, the reason why there's darkness, as I pointed out well, certainly a while back, <clears throat> is that it depends how the Mashiach comes. If the Mashiach comes as a result of merits, where the Jews do tremendous good, right, tremendous mitzvahs and so on, then there is no suffering. There is no darkness that precedes the Mashiach. But if the Jews do chayobim, if the Jew, that's kulim zakoyim, which the Gemara says, all of them are righteous. But if the Jews go, do kulim chayobim, in the sense that everybody's sinning, then the Mashiach will come through darkness. question is why? Because the problem is, 
is that if the Jews are sinning, so that furthers distances the tikkun, the rectification, you see. So therefore what is required is a tremendous amount of yisurin or suffering in order to satisfy the judgment, in order to balance the books. Because as long as the Jews don't deserve the Mashiach, right, then how can he come? And certainly how can he be here? You see. So that's the first idea, you see. And we actually saw that, as I said, in Egypt. When Egypt, Moshe Rabbeinu, came to Egypt, and he was the Goyal, he was the closest candidate to Mashiach, right? And that's because the Jews, as I said before, had entered Memtesh-Shari They had descended to the 49th level of Tumah, you know, defilement. So in order to save them from descending into the 50th, in which case they could not be redeemed because they would be completely saturated with that defilement, God had to save them. So he did. He sent Moshe Rabbeinu, who was the Mashiach, basically, almost, you see. And that way he could make sure that they wouldn't descend. But as I said before, the problem was is that if the Mashiach comes to save the Jews because they had descended into the Memtes, right, at Egypt, right, the Sultan, who's the major prosecutor, is standing there and saying, wait a minute, they don't deserve the redemption. So as a result of that, God has to balance the debt. So what, did, what happened? Pharaoh, we know, Paroi, issued a decree that they now had to gather straw you know, they were not given straw to make bricks. They had to gather it themselves, which means that they would have to go at nighttime all through Egypt at night. And there's no light bulbs, obviously, to gather straw, which, which caused enormous amount of suffering to the Jewish people. But that suffering would remove the claim of the sultan against the Jewish people. And that satisfies the din, you see. So that's why there has to be darkness, certainly in the form of tremendous suffering and, and persecutions by the, a nation against the Jews. So that's a basic fundamental reason. And we know that this world has entered Memtashari Tumah, that this world has entered the 49, 49 <clears throat> gates of defilement. That's how bad everything is. And we know that can't believe what's going on in this world, you see, and so on, you know. And that's why uh, this happens, the darkness happens, after the Mashiach comes, before the real, complete redemption, you see. <clears throat> There's another reason why it happens, and this is reason number two. Because the problem is that even though they're suffering, right, they're adding to the suffering because they're also sinning. And when Jews sin, <clears throat> right, they have free will. And when a Jew sins and he has free will, automatically the sudden grows in enormous strength. That contributes tremendously to his strength, which we know is called the Zoyamor. So therefore, if there's going to be darkness, right, uh, that means that there will be a tremendous lack of knowledge of what is right and wrong. There will be a tremendous environment of sin. 
And therefore, the amount of free will that a person has is substantially reduced, thereby reducing the culpability of that person. And therefore, if he's not as culpable as if there was a great deal of light, truth, then obviously the amount of power that the Sultan takes, called the Zoyama, is substantially reduced. You see? So in that sense, the darkness before the Geula substantially reduces the culpability of the Jewish people. That even if they sin, since it's a sin in tremendous darkness, where they don't know what's right or wrong, and so on, as a result of that, the, they, they, they really do not have the free will because they are not aware of the option, of the choice. And as I said, therefore their culpability in committing the sin is tremendously diminished, and therefore that diminishes the zoyamor, the energy that the sultan could take as a result of their sins, and therefore whatever sufferings they do go through, right, is uh, works sufficiently to remove all of the zoyamor, all of the, the justice that demands that they suffer, you see. And that's a very important reason. And that is why darkness must precede the Geula. If the Jews are sinning, God must diminish their culpability or their guilt and therefore reduce tremendously the Zoyamo that the Satan will get as a result of that. You see, <clears throat> that is why, a very important reason why there's a tremendous lack of religion, of Ruchni and spirituality, tremendous lack of Torah, you see, which is what we see, that most of the Jewish people are gone. There's a tremendous amount of evil in the world, which obviously we see, because all of that means <clears throat> that the culpability, the guilt of the Jewish people is substantially reduced. And that means, therefore, that you don't have to have as much suffering since the sin is not counted really as a sin. So really, when you think about it, <clears throat> so then you can say to yourself, wait a minute, if that's what happens, so then who's doing the tikkun? Because they're not doing the tikkun, and the answer is the religious. They do the tikkun, why? <clears throat> Even though the amount of zoyama they produce is also reduced, but nowhere near the other group, you see. And they do the tikkun because they have free will. The reason why they have free will is because they know exactly, you know, what's right and wrong. What is a mitzvah and what's an avera, you see? So therefore, when they do a mitzvah, that advances the tikkun, you see? <clears throat> so the ones who really have the, now the, the, who are in charge of the process of tikkun are the Bnei Torah, right? And the uh, religious, orthodox, Torah-observant community. They're the ones, you see. And this follows from what I've said, you see. Now, <clears throat> so this is a, as I said, um, the, the second idea of why there's a tremendous amount of darkness. Third idea, which is also very important, that one of the blockages of the Mashiach coming is the fact that the heir of Rav have a merit. They have schus. Or schut, however you want to say it. Why? Because if a goy or an heir of Rav contributes 
the Torah, and that is what they do in Israel. The government gives them money. But when they have the schus, whatever degree of Torah, uh, they are therefore rewarded, you see. And part of the reward is that they have uh, a tremendous domination, you see. And that's very bad, because if they have a merit, how do you get rid of these guys? Because they have merits that protect them, you see. Uh, so therefore, what the darkness does when it, it envelops everybody, especially when the air of Rav dominates, then that merit that they have to exist and survive and to dominate the religious, that disappears. So when you think about it, Lieberman wants to destroy the Turin Klai Israel, you see. Actually, in a certain sense, that's very good. I mean, it sounds very bizarre what I'm saying. But the problem is that as long as the government of Israel contributes to the Limanatera, that gives them a protective merit. And therefore, they, uh, it's very difficult to dislodge them, you see. <clears throat> so that's also part of the darkness, you see, where even the Arab Ra will no longer contribute to the Torah. You know, when you think about it, you realize they have no idea. They are committing suicide. They have no idea. They don't realize that their entire power to survive and to dominate is only because they contribute to the upkeep of Torah by giving money to yeshivas, koilel, Jewish education for kids, etc. And then if they remove that, they actually remove their protective shield against their own destruction. It's astounding when you think about that. You see, but that's a third reason, you see, for the darkness that precedes the Mashiach. Now, the fourth idea is that because the Torah diminishes, because the amount of money diminishes and the ability of Torah, you know, to be proliferated in the Jewish people, then everybody has to exert what's called Messias Nefesh, uh, self-sacrifice, to a much greater extent to learn the Torah. So that enormously increases their merit to survive, you see? And that enormously increases the possibility that the Tikkun will be complete and the Mashiach will come. You know, as it says, the Fumtsaro Agro, the Gemon Brochus, says the Fumtsaro that the, the, what determines the amount of merit, agro, reward, is the difficulty, the struggle that one has to go through. And that's the fumtsaro agro. The fumtsaro, according to the tsar, the struggle, the pain that a person has to sacrifice, agro is the reward. <clears throat> the reason for that, by the way, very important concept, is because the entire purpose of a mitzvah is to testify in that besides God, there is nobody else, you see. And every mitzvah does that because it's a battle of wills. You know, is it your will or God's will? And when you do a mitzvah, it's, you express the fact that it's God's will that has primacy or supremacy, see. <clears throat> now, therefore... If you want to intensify 
the uh, the the concept of Eino Mavadoi, right? Then it comes out that the greater the struggle, the greater the struggle that you have in doing a mitzvah, and you overcome that struggle and you do the mitzvah, that means your testimony that Eino Mavadoi besides God is nothing else is much greater in intensity because your struggle is greater and therefore you have to deny your own will. You see, in other words, the greater the struggle to do a mitzvah, that means when you do the mitzvah, it's a much greater statement of Enel Bavadoi that God will, God's, God, His will has complete supremacy over yours. Therefore your testimony that Enel Mavadoi, that God is the only one that exists, is much greater. And therefore, the reward is obviously much greater. That's why struggle is such an important determinant in the amount of reward. Because the amount of reward is not just from the mitzvah, it's also the struggle for the mitzvah. You see, because the greater the struggle, and you overcome that struggle, the greater is the reward that you receive. So, if you think about it, in darkness, right, the struggle is much greater because the whole world is enveloped in evil and darkness where the truth is completely concealed, you see? And you still do a mitzvah. You still believe in God and moon and bitochen, belief and trust in God, which is much more difficult in a time when everybody's abandoning God and religion. Therefore, the reward is much greater. You see, and that greatness of the reward, the amount of reward is so great that it can actually fill up the amount of tikkun left. So isn't that interesting? That the darkness itself increases the merit, right? And that merit itself, right? That statement of Enid Mavadoi with a much greater intensity increases the reward. And that reward can actually bring the tikkun itself, you see. So there you have it. I mean, there are other reasons, but those are basic four ideas of why it gets so incredibly dark, you see. <clears throat> now, why is it that the era of Rav are the people that bring the darkness? If you think about it, the era of Rav, right, the mixed multitude, that's what they're called, and I mentioned those are the Jews that are not interested in religion or ruchnis or spirituality, they see Judaism, right, as a culture, just like every nation. The reason why they are the ones that create the darkness, which is what they do, and I mentioned, I think, uh, was it last week, that one and a half million kids in the public schools in Israel hardly have any Jewish education at all. In fact, they once asked, they once said to these people, Shema Yisrael, what completes the statement? And most kids had no idea what goes after Shema Israel, Hero Israel. It's astounding. But what's even worse is that the ones now in charge of this Chinuch uh, system, if you want to call it that, right, are the Reformed. You see, it's the Hartman Institute. They are the ones in charge. They are destroying the youth. Can you imagine one and a half million kids have no concept of Judaism? This is the future generation of Israel. So the question is, why does it suddenly use the era of Rav? And the answer is very interesting, because as you come toward the end of time, you see, 
then the Jews will have removed from the Sultan 98% of his energy, which he gets when the Jews sin. Right? That's what he does. When the Jews sin, then they give the power of energy that comes down because of the Torah, the Mitzvah. It goes to the Sultan when they sin. You see, and that's called Nitzitzis Kedusha, Sparks of Holiness. Uh, so therefore, at the end of time, the ones who have it, basically, are the Jewish people. Now, the Sultan who's dying, because 98% of his energy is gone, he has to go to the Jewish people to get those sparks of holiness, because they are no longer in his hand. Since the Jews have taken most of it back, they are now in the hands of the Jews. So he has to now go to the Jews to energize himself with those sparks. So who does he go to? He goes, of course, to the heir of Rav, right? Because they, as Jews, have them, you see, which is really incredible. And that is why you see the heir of Rav, in the end of time, dominating and being responsible for the tremendous darkness that will envelop the Jewish people. You see, that's a very important idea. But like I mentioned before, the worse they get, the more power the era of Rav has, the schus that they have to survive will be, again be taken away. So, in, 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 like I said before, in many ways they are committing suicide. They have no concept that the Torah that they are trying to deny the Jewish people, the Bnei Torah, right, the Kolels, the Yeshivas, and so on, all, uh, all the Bnei Torah, that without that, they will be open to annihilation. And that is really what's happening. And therefore, that is why we have a tremendous amount of darkness, you see. And these are really, in many ways, many important ideas. Now, what is also interesting is as darkness increases, you see, then there's much less mitzvahs done. And obviously there's much less terror. Comes out an interesting idea, Kabbalistically, that a great deal of shefa, and this is what produces the darkness, right? The great deal of diminishment of the, of the energy of the spheres is tremendously reduced. So a lot of malachim, great malachim, that are responsible in many ways of bringing the terror to the Jewish people on a spiritual level, they are annulled. They actually are out of a job because darkness means that they do not bring the Torah to the Jews and so on. And therefore, uh, they have to wait in line. They themselves need a geula in order to resume their position. You see, <clears throat> now, <clears throat> so these are the ideas of darkness and we actually see it being fulfilled with the left. Bennett and Lapid and all the other parties on the left, which when you think about it, uh, is an incredible it's sort of like good news and bad news the bad news is these guys are going to try to destroy you know, Torah, religion, Judaism and the Haredim and whatever and so on, that's the bad news but the good news is they're wiping themselves out with this darkness that they want to bring in also <clears throat> now, what is also um, important to know is that the concept of Golos, as I said, 
why there is darkness before the end. But the whole concept of Golos, exile, is very important. And there are different stages, as I mentioned in the previous year, in the whole concept of exile, you see. Well, the exile begins, you know, in uh, their own country with evil kings, and then it progresses, you know, to uh, <clears throat> nations that want to persecute them, and then it progresses where they themselves are kicked out of Israel, and then after that, nations now begin to persecute the Jews, you see. So therefore, the exile itself, the purpose of that, as I had mentioned in the previous year, is for the purposes of bringing the Tikkun, you see. <clears throat> now, one of the things that helped the Jews survive is that the divine presence itself goes into Golis. That's right. The Jews went into Golis, which means is that they are denied their Torah, a great deal of their Ruchnias, their spirituality. In many ways, they cannot survive. So therefore, what the Rabbanisham does is he allows his divine presence, his Shekhinah, to also go in Golis. What that means is that the Sutton not only can take from the sparks of the Jews, but he can also take from the energy of the divine presence. And that's the concept of Shekhinah Bigalusa. You see, that the Shekhinah itself is in exile. That means that God voluntarily allows course, he's not compelled, but he voluntarily allows the Sultan to take from the Shekhinah itself, not merely from the sparks of holiness that should go to the Jews. And as a result of that, justice is satisfied, you see. <clears throat> and in many ways, historically, these are the two things that go into Golis. The Jewish people, as I said, and the divine presence itself that allows the Jewish people to survive in the Golis, you see. <clears throat> and in, in a certain sense, which is interesting, that has allowed two major um, events in history to occur. <clears throat> the first time is the destruction of the first Amigdash. That means that the divine presence went into Golis when the Beis Amigdash was destroyed. The question is, of course, where do you go? Where does divine presence go? So I answered that. Shekhinta Bigalusa means that the divine presence is in Golis, you see? And therefore the Satan can take from that divine presence the energy of the divine presence and therefore try to destroy the Jews. Well, the first base I mean, this was destroyed 2,500 years ago. That's a very long time ago. And therefore the Satan was able to yoinake, that's what it means, to nourish from that divine presence. As a result of that, uh, so therefore, it was enormously energized. Now the question is, now what? So what? What does Sutton want to do? Davin Shmon Esrei? Because of all the spiritual energy? The answer is, of course not. What the Sutton does is <coughs> he exacerbates the, the, the exile itself. <clears throat> what does that mean? Well, if you notice, <clears throat> 2,500 years ago, the, the major religions were founded at that time. For instance, we find that um, 
Buddhism, he lived around then. Now hundreds of millions of Buddhists, not only him, <coughs> but also Taoism. Mao Tse, he also lived at that time, you see. He also lived Confucius. So there are three major religions in the East, Buddhism, Taoism, right, and Confucianism, right? They all emerged at that time, 2,500 years ago, when the Besa Magdus was destroyed. Not only that, but Rome became a republic in 525 BCE. So Rome also emerged as a nation that was destined to destroy, ultimately, the second Besa Magdus. <clears throat> so the question is, what does that mean? And the answer is fascinating. That means a Sutton who is unique, who nourishes off the divine presence, because that's what happened when the base of Magdus was destroyed. Where did God go? <clears throat> he went into what's called the Klippa. He went into, or he was, the, the, the God allowed his Shekhinah, that energy, to be subjugated by the Sutton. And therefore the Sutton took the image of God, which is a religion, from the Jews, and he gave it to the Goyim. Therefore, it comes out that their religions are really usurpations, you see, theft from Judaism. Because Judaism itself is what has its image of God, its belief in the one God. So the Sultan is able to take that and give it to the Goyim in the form of other religions, you see, which of course is idolatry. <coughs> So therefore it comes out that when the Divine Presence goes into Gullus, therefore major religions can emerge, because that's what the Sutton does. In other words, if we lose the image of God, right, because we sin, which is what we did, and that's why the base image was destroyed, then God allows himself, right, to be nourished by, to be nourished by the Sutton that now offers a major religion to uh, the uh, to the Goyim. And not only that, but Rome, Roman Empire was founded in 525 BCE. They also now have the energy to become a great nation. Uh, you see, so that's a very important idea of what the Golis does. The second event, which I want to describe, is the second base of Magnus. And the second base of Magnus, we know, of course, was destroyed, right, because of Sinas Chinam. Russian horror based on the Chavetz Chaim and the Marso. In any case, it was destroyed, but that would be the same thing. Well, the divine presence allows the Sutton, right? Because the base of Magdus is destroyed, and now the Shekhinah again goes into the Golas. You see. And therefore, what God now, uh, now allows is that the Sutton is able to take from, and of course, it's all voluntary, because that's what justice demands to be unique, to nourish off the Divine Presence. But we know what the formula is, that if the Divine Presence itself goes into the Klippa, which means into the, uh, the dominion of the Sutton, what that also means, right, is that the Sutton can take the view that the Jews have of God and give it to the Goyim. Well, the question is, what emerged, or what major religion emerged, right, when the, when the uh, God went into the Klippa? after the destruction of the second temple. 
And the answer, of course, is Christianity. That happened right around the time of the destruction of the Beis Amikdash, you see. <clears throat> so it's an amazing idea when you think about that, you know, and you realize that Christianity is really Judaism on its head. It's really what it is. I mean, we say that we have the Torah. They say that they have the Torah, which is the New Testament, right? We say that we have the Messiah. They say that they have the Messiah, you see. So in many ways, <clears throat> we say that we are the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. And they say, which is called replacement theory, they say that they are the house of Israel. So it's astounding that Christianity is really uh, Judaism stolen from the Jews. In fact, that's really what uh, Christianity is. It's really Judaism with a, with a pagan veneer, you see. And this is what they took once the base Amigdus was destroyed, and the Sultan was able to give them a view of God, which is what we have, he is able to, the Sultan is able to give them a different view of God as a result of the fact that God also went into the Golas. You see, and all of this is obviously a very important concept. Well, we now see much greater logic what's happening with Bennett and Lapid. You know, we look at it and we say, this is terrible, which of course it is. Because why should the Jews be in a situation where in order to satisfy, satisfy justice, right, they have to suffer this way? But I'm showing you the logic of why it's critical that this happens. All of this is to enable the Jews to survive and to bring the tikkun to do the rectification and not only that, but to bring the Mashiach. All of this is messianic. Don't be fooled. It's all it is. You see, and I explained why. Darkness is needed before the Mashiach comes for the reasons that I have enumerated. And we are watching now, actually, the greatest intensity of darkness. Because they you know, uh, Bennett and Lapid and his whole party, they are really on a vendetta mission against the Haredim and really to destroy Judaism. They're going to try to, you know, uh, uh, play around with conversions, which is terrible, because they are going to destroy the Yichus, the lineage of the Jewish people. And they don't realize that they're harming themselves tremendously. Because imagine if somebody wants to get married, and they converted to a reformed uh, ceremony, and they think they're Jewish, right? Then all of a sudden they want to get married, right? And let's say they get married that way. Now, thinking that they're Jewish, right, let's assume as time goes on that they do tshuva. And all of a sudden, right, they decide, well, they would like to marry a ben Torah, somebody who's immersed in learning Torah, or a Torah-observant Jew, Right? What this is going to necessitate is the Jewish Haredim are going to have, to have to check the lineage status of anybody getting married. So that person that thinks he, he or she is Jewish will be rejected. And they'll be stunned because they think they're Jewish. But as soon as you check the lineage status of who converted them, and it's found out that the, that the Reformed or Conservative converted them, they're out. Could you imagine the shock that they will be in? 
So by destroying the concept of halakhic conversion, they are destroying themselves. So that's the first idea. Then they want to tamper with marriage, you know, uh, and, 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 and divorce. Now marriage, if somebody, of course, you need kosher witnesses to view the marriage, and that's the essential thing that makes the marriage. Could you imagine witnesses that are desecrate the Shabbos, and they are witnesses because it's a reform ceremony? So it comes out that the guy and the girl are not married. So it's one thing to understand that, you know, so they're not married. So they're living as, you know, man and, man and, and, and whatever you want to call it, man and, and, and girlfriend or whatever and so on. You see, but at least the children of that marriage uh, are basically, if the, if the woman is, is uh, Jewish, will be Jewish. But what about Gittin? Could you imagine if they go to, to two people are married, right? <clears throat> right, a man and a woman. And they go to a reformed uh, ceremony to dissolve the marriage. And the guy gives a get, whatever that's called, right? Meanwhile, of course, it means that they're still married according to the Torah. Meanwhile, this woman, let's say, right, goes and marries somebody else. But she can't. She's an Asian ish. So it comes out that if she marries a second husband, right, and, and they have a child, that child is a mamzer. So could you imagine how many mamzerim they will be bringing in Israel because they will have usurped the whole process of Gittin, right, as an anti-Torah uh, position? terrible. Then, of course, they want to, you know, uh, touch Shabbos and try to remove Shabbos from public transportation, you see. And there are many Jews that don't want to work on Shabbos. And if they don't work on Shabbos, they will lose their job. So it comes out that many, many uh, Jews will be employed and they'll have to work on Shabbos, you see, which is terrible desecration. Because the Shabbos, Shmir Shabbos, not only does it hold the Jewish people together, but it holds the whole state of Israel together. That's one of the most holiest uh, mitzvahs of the entire Torah. And then who knows what they're going to do at Kashrus, you see, where they're going to allow non-kosher meat into, into, into Israel and so on. Then you have, of course, the army status, where they want to take the people learning in yeshivas or kolel and draft them into the army, you see. And then they're going to tamper with the chinuch system because they want the yeshivas to have whatever they call the core curriculum. You see, they'll go to war with the yeshiva system. And then, of course, which is really very bad, they're going to recognize the reformed movement as a legitimate movement. And that is the beginning of the end of the kedusha of the Jewish people. So we could see that they are going to wreak enormous Havoc with the Jewish people, you see. Now, you talk about darkness, which is incredible. Hopefully, it won't happen as bad as I say, you see. So what we're witnessing really, I believe, is the ultimate darkness of the Jewish people in the land of Israel, in Eretz Israel. And this is a very, very important idea, you see. <clears throat> so the amazing thing is that it's actually happening in our time, you see. And I believe this is one of the reasons why God is allowing this to happen. 
because he wants to accelerate the process. He wants to bring the Mashiach now and stop the rapid decline of civilization because America is dying. We see that. There's so many different things that are happening in America. You know, the, uh, the progressives, the liberals, the Democratic Party. And we also, of course, realize the tremendous rise in anti-Semitism. You see, all over the world, we realize that we are in a tremendous tornado of anti-Torah values. You see, and anti-Jewish values. There's a tremendous storm against the Jewish people. So therefore, uh, it's very reasonable to assume that we are basically on the last leg, you see, and that the window, which I had mentioned a long time ago, that evil will be able to dominate tremendously until the end, because for all the reasons that I've mentioned, you see, and that this window gets lower and lower, and therefore it severely diminishes the light, the energy of the spheres, until it's about to shut. And if it shuts, then instantly the universe disappears. But before it's about to shut, because of all the evil, the window, right, the the window, right before it shuts, then the shorem, the gates of heaven open up, and the entire universe is, is infused with an awesome light even though the windows shut. And we are really at that point in time. So certainly let us hope that this is basically the last creeper. This is the last darkness. And that this is truly the darkness of the end. And even Rabbi Yechelen said that I don't want to be here. That's how bad it is and will become. But let us certainly hope that this is the final darkness before the end of time. Any questions? Any questions? Rabbi, when when Israel was created as a country, um, as a state, um, like with Menachem Begin and Herzl and all of them, they were also the Erev Rav, and they were also that darkness that we're seeing, and they tried to eliminate the religion and take away all of that from us to bring up this whole... Would, you would think that that would have been the same darkness that we're in today because their ideology was, is really similar to where we are today. Yeah, but you have to remember this, that there are many requirements besides the darkness, you see, because when Israel was founded, right, America, this was when, in 1898 or 1899, remember that America had to grow to become Edom, ultimately, you see, and besides that, the Erev did stop their destructive path because Ben-Gurion worked out a status quo with the religious. Because Ben-Gurion, in terms of everything he was, which obviously, you know, tremendous apicurus, but Ben-Gurion realized, I mean, he had enough seichel sense to realize that he does not want to destroy Judaism. Like he once said famously, I do not want to destroy Yavne. And Yavne, of course, is the place that Rabbi Yechim and Zakkai asked Vespasian 
to allow the Jews, the Sanhedrin, to go to Yavne, and in that way he was able to save Judaism and so on. And Ben-Gurion realized that even though I'm not religious and I'm not interested in it, whatever, he does not want to take away the religion of Judaism, which allowed the Jews to survive for 3,300 years and is a major cultural, at least that's the way he looked at it, cultural achievement. So he formulated a status quo. And the, so it was, even though it was bad and they did terrible things, because they took all the Yemenites and North Africans and whatever, and they put them on kibbutzim, which were completely irreligious, in order to get the votes, because he knew that they would not vote for the Mapai. But at least he, he arranged where they would have a status quo, you see? So it wasn't as bad as what we're seeing today. These people want to go to war with the entire Ant Haredi and destroy the status quo, you see? So when you think about it, we are really at the end. Everything that has to come about has come about, you see. So there is a difference between then and now. Got it. Good. Any other questions? Yes. So if there's uh, a lot of darkness now, um, what happens once the darkness, darkness is um, filled up to capacity and the window closes, gates open, the pikita happens, then what happens? Well, when that happens, when the gates open, that's it. We will see a light. We will see the divine presence of what we have never seen before. And the beauty of it is that once it comes, it's going to come with staggering light, truth, and holiness, where God himself will be revealed. And that's it. That's the end. And it will never be dark again. And the Jews, of course, will reign supreme until the end, which is the year 2240 or the year 6000. And that begins a whole different, begins the process of creating Ulam Habba. But the main thing is that it's over. You know, it's, it's, it's like, it's, you know, it's like somebody being in prison, and all of a sudden the gate is open, or the jails, the cell opens the door, and he walks out into the daylight. You can't believe it. You see? And that's what's going to happen. The gullus will be over. The divine presence will be uh, um, shine forth, you know, will illuminate, and the uh, Messianic, the Mashiach, will be here. Mashiach ben Yosef, you know, even before Mashiach ben David, but certainly with Mashiach ben David, they will rule. Look, we don't even understand, we cannot comprehend the freedom, the majesty of that moment. We have no idea. But the Psukim in Tanakh say, you know, that the glory will be beyond comprehension. Nirvam Khal talks about that. That the, 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 the glory, the light, the energy, the ruchnis, the spirituality will be something that we cannot even begin to imagine. And it says one of the psukim, in Tehillim by Dovid HaMelech, that he asks the Rebansham that please give us, for all the suffering that we have done, give us all the opposite, it's unbelievable holiness, you know, because we've, we have endured so much. So that's what's going to happen. 
But Rabbi, oh, what happens if they? Oh, you could talk. What, what happened? What? What happens if they succeed in passing all these laws that are abomination in God's eyes, and then Hashem takes His wrath out on everybody? No, He won't take His wrath out on anybody. I want to tell you something. You have to know one thing. What's important? The Haredim won't. They'll, they'll, they'll suffer. But they're not the ones who are ultimately will be harmed. The Haredim. They'll figure out how to get around it. That's it. They're going to have to make terrible decrees in order to survive. You see? You know, like this whole, like in 2013 when Lapid and Lieberman, whatever, tried to stop the money uh, for, the, uh, for the Haredim, what they did is they had to adapt the Kailil. I mean, they'll figure out what to do. But the ones who will really be destroyed are the, the other Israelis, because they're going to destroy the Jewish character of Israel, and they need it. You know, what do they want? Do they want a completely secularized state? They're the ones that will be destroyed, not the Haredim. The Haredim will just retreat into their own, own Dalaramas, their own, you know, four Amas, and so on, and they'll just continue. It'll be a tremendous hardship, that's true. But it, it won't harm them like it'll harm the Israeli public. Because then Judaism will be destroyed. You see? And that'll be terrible for them. It'll destroy the Jewish character, religion of the entire state. So how are they going to come back? But we don't, look, we don't really know what's going to happen. Will God allow them to do it, even if he wants to have darkness precede the Mashiach? We don't really know. You know, God also, remember, has a limit, like the marble, you know, the flood. They also destroyed the world <clears throat> with their terrible, you know, uh, you know, sins and so on. But how, God said, enough is enough, and he wiped out the planet. So there is a measuring, you know, yard in that sense, you know, that they will be allowed to do what they have to do, in order to fulfill God, then he will stop it with the redemption itself. You see. How long, um, once the gate opens, like, how, how do we know that the divine presence is going to be, like, how, how much of it is going to be shown to us right away? How do we know that the gate opened? Like, what's, what's the things that we need to look for? I mean, what's the indicator? <clears throat> you, the indicator when the gate opens uh, is, first of all, you'll know internally because you will be a different person. Something will happen to you, you meaning all of us, to our nishamas. Because remember, the gate open is not an event where God appears. No, it's an event where our nishama rejoins God. So how can we not in any way feel that? You see what I'm saying? All of a sudden, it's like the Mershom says in the Pesach, God will circumcise your heart, which means he will remove the creeper. But he says your heart means your neshama. So you immediately will, influ- will be influenced and be affected by that unbelievable rise in consciousness. Automatically. You won't believe what hit you. And it'll be the unbelievable pleasure 
You see? <clears throat> so we're not looking here, well, God is going to appear. What does that have to do with me? No. When God appears, he will remove the Zoyamor from your heart. And you will immediately have this unbelievable amount of consciousness. Dvekus. You see? That's how you know. Doesn't the Zohar leave when Mashiach ben David comes? But, but if that's what he does. Mashiach ben David destroys the Satan. Whether he kills him or he alters the Satan to be a good Malach. It's an argument. But whatever it is, he destroys the whole concept of evil. That there is no longer evil or grief or sadness or depression or death, you see, or sickness, it's all gone. Never to come back again. Okay. But when the gate opens, that's a picky da. That's when Mashiach and Yosef comes. Yes. So how, how is, uh, so if Hashem's removing the klipah of the Zohama on our hearts when the gate opens, that's when Mashiach and Yosef comes. Well, when the gate opens, that will be the Pekita, because then Mashiach ben Yosef, whoever he is now, will be crowned. He will have the Yechid of all Jews, you see, and the Shechina will go through him into the Yechid of everybody, because he's got it. It's like a, it's like a humongous pile of Yechidos of all the entire Jewish people, and it will go through him into us. You see, and that's what's going to be removing the Zoyama that we have, you see. So yeah. um, removing of the Zohama will be in stages like it was um, in, uh, in Egypt? It's 49 days. Well, the whole, yeah, the, the whole process is stages, you know, just like we see by Egypt. First it was the Pekida by Moshe. And then there was, you know, a retracing of evil back into the Klippa, right? And then you had the end of that, and you had all ten Marcus, one after the other, right? Because each sphere had to reassert itself, and that's really what the Marcus were. And then, of course, after that happened, you had the unbelievable revelation of Kriyas Yamsaf, which is something we cannot even begin to understand the revelation, the giloy of that event. And then you had, after that, you had the 49 days, and each day was a giloy, of which we cannot even imagine. And then after that, you had Matan Torah, of what we certainly cannot imagine. You see? Look, what's in store for us is beyond comprehension. <clears throat> you know, I'm not talking, you know, about the guys in a room and there's a 100-watt bulb, and then he changes it for a 500-watt bulb. I don't mean that at all. It's not a... It's a the, the degree of, of, of light that will come down, or holiness, right, is not quantitative. It's qualitative. It's not an amount of a difference in degree. It's a different experience of which we had never seen before. Just like the Jews of Mount Terror. They never experienced, you know, that type of, of an event where God appeared to them. You know, like Rashi says, he opened up the heavens and he showed them that he's the Yehudah Shel Olam. He's the one of the entire universe. We don't know what that is. 
This is not a degree, right? This is a de- this is the concept of quality, not quantity. So that's what happens when the gate opens. You know, you know, it's like in many ways. Can you walk over to a person who was born blind and explain to him what color is? No. He has never experienced color. He has no idea what you're talking about, you see. But when all of a sudden, if he's able to see and he experiences color, you see, that's not just a degree of revelation. It's an experience which is shocking to him because he cannot even imagine what you were talking about. And now he sees it. Same idea. We are all blind. What do we know? You see? So when our eyes are opened by the gula, right, the redemption itself, we will be exposed to what he is exposed to, color. And we will be stunned, you see. Because it's something that we cannot even imagine. That's what's going to happen by the redemption, you see. Is, is the Giloy um, all equal for everyone, or are there different levels? Well, there will be a Giloy for everyone. That's called the standard. Then there will be, depending on the person and what he did, there will be levels of Giloy. Yes, but there is a standard. means a minimal amount. But like I say, that minimal amount is comparable to the blind man that sees color. His minimal amount is staggering. And then, depending on the person himself, there will be an additional giluyum, you see, to that person. And the same thing will happen at Olam Habbo. There is a minimal amount, but the basic, uh, that, so that's the basic amount, which is something which is incomprehensible. Because what happens in Olam Habbo is infinitely greater than what happens in the Messianic era. Could you imagine what that is? We, you know, we cannot even imagine the Messianic era. We're gonna, we'll imagine Eidam Abba. But then that person, the more deeds that the person has done for the sake of heaven, the greater will be the experience of Eidam Abba. So it's both, it's a, there's a basic minimum, minimum, and then there's the added thing that you get for the, for the mere fact the, of what you've done in terms of the mitzvahs in Oilam Hazer. So that will be happen also by the Messianic era, yes. And the second Giloi, one that goes according to your level, that happens after Techiyat HaMetim, but the first Giloi will happen uh, during the Mashiach when they come? Yes, because that's too fundamentally different. The Giloi that you will have by Mashiach Ben Yosef you know, is much more akin to Ilam Hazer that we experience. But after the Zoyama is removed, which happens by after Tchiesamesim, then we cannot imagine the Gilui. Because it's a Gilui without Zoyama. You see, we, we cannot even begin to imagine what that is. And it was previously experienced by the handmaiden, by Kriya Samsov. Because one seventh of the Zoyama was removed. Because out of the 49 days, Kriya Samsuf was day number seven. So therefore, seven of that Zoyama was removed. And that's what made it so superior to Yecheskel Hanovi. Just that. Uh, so could you imagine what the entire Zoyama is removed? And that's what happened by Matan Torah. That the, the experience was so powerful 
the consciousness was so powerful that everybody died. Everybody died. Can you imagine the power of that revelation? Now by us, obviously, nobody's going to die because there's no Zoyama, there's no Sultan to take the life. You see, because <clears throat> that's what ultimately does it, you know. But, uh, the, 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 like I say, the, so the Giloy Mashiach Ben Yosef will not rival, cannot rival the Giloy of Mashiach Ben David because his appearance is without Zoyama, whereas when Mashiach Ben Yosef is with Zoyama, you see. And that eventually uh, will lead, of course, to Tchinsamesim by Mashiach Ben David. But there is a subsent, there has to be a tremendous difference. So right now we're basically waiting for the window to close, correct? We are waiting for the window to almost close. We don't want it to close because okay. then everything disappears. Right. And we want it to go what is called the minimum, the minimum descent, or I should say the minimum opening of that window because if it goes beyond that, everything disappears. So we are waiting for it to go to the minimum like I said, that's why we need the darkness, right? And then immediately, before it closes, the gates open. So even though the windows close, the gate opens, and that's Mashiach. And and when the gates open, we automatically feel something in our in our neshama. Automatically, so oh yeah. Indicator. And, yes. And then and so before because that's what it says in the Torah. Like I said, umol Hashem es God will circumcise your heart, means he will re- remove the creepers from the, by, that's the end of the Zayamah. So automatically, you're not the same human you were before. You are a different type of human being, you see. And the Mashiach ben Yosef cannot come before the gate opens? The Mashiach ben Yosef will come, well, the Mashiach ben Yosef actually will be here, before the gate opens, you see, he doesn't come after the gate opens. He comes before. He's part of the team, if I can use that word, to make sure that the gate opens, or rather to make sure to fight the evil, you know, from descending the, the window. That's his job. So really, uh, before the gate opens by Mashiach ben David, you see, or actually, even actually, before the gate opens, Mashiach, when, well, it's, it's, it's an interesting clear, you know, <clears throat> there's no question that Mashiach, when Yosef arrives before the window can possibly close, because that's his job, you see. But the gate opens, uh, basically, by, not by the Pekida, but opens up by the Zahira, which is the second stage of the Giloi. You see, so that will happen. <clears throat> so then the next step is, is for Mashiach to come, not the, not, like, what's the next part that we're waiting for? What's the next step? The next step is Mashiach ben Yosef has to arrive and begin to transform the Jewish people. That's the next step. And that's with the Zayamo. Because God will not bring the Mashiach ben David or the messianic, real messianic process to a nation that is completely in the dark. 
He's going to make sure that every Jew returns, which we know the Pasuk, right? Uh, even if you're outcast, be at the end of heaven, which I've quoted many times. From there, which means that from the ends of heaven, he will gather you and he will bring you to, to him. You see, <clears throat> so that's the Kuf of Mashiach ben Yosef. So, so even in Mashiach ben Yosef's time, there will be tremendous revelations. But it won't be as great as Mashiach ben David, because you still have the Zayama. But it will be phenomenal. No question about that. 